previous two paragraphs, Paul has been dealing, as so much of 2 Corinthians does, with, with sort of big issues in his relationship with the church at Corinth. The, the strength in weakness that is the overarching theme of 2 Corinthians has a lot to do with, with Paul's trying to explain from his own weakness how that he has, has been faithful, true, his character and his message are under attack in Corinth, or at least have been, and there's a lot of, a lot of a, sort of a vindication in 2 Corinthians. And the last two paragraphs are no exception. The, uh, two weeks ago, uh, Pastor David Miller talked to us about, about conflict and the, the importance of, of getting those things addressed and resolved, and that certainly our faithfulness to Christ is no guarantee that we won't deal with sometimes difficult interpersonal conflicts. And then last week, uh, Pastor Peter Finch dealt with forgiveness and the, uh, the importance of the church at Corinth following Paul's example, that as Paul had, had lived out forgiveness in front of them, they too needed to forgive those among them who, uh, I agree with, with Brother Peter, who had come under the discipline of the congregation but who had repented and it was time now to welcome that person back. And those were big, mountainous issues. They looked out into the relationship between Paul and the church at Corinth. The paragraph we come to this morning, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning in verse 12, is a little bit more introspective. Paul turns a little bit more in and talks about a season of restlessness in his own life. 2 Corinthians is, is a, um, a book that was written from Philippi after Paul had journeyed north to Macedonia, which is the region of northern Greece, Philippi being one of the chief cities of that region. Uh, after Paul had finished his time, his more than two-year ministry in Ephesus. And, and the, the moment in 2 Corinthians 2, verse 12 when he has, has left Ephesus and has come to Troas, Troas was on his way on up to Macedonia, on his way on up to Philippi. We can, we can place that moment in chapter 20, verse one of the book of Acts. And so in that moment, Paul has, or in that brief season, Paul has a season of restlessness. 2 Corinthians 2, verses 12 through 17. And when I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was open for me in the Lord, my spirit was not at rest because I did not find my brother Titus there. Paul had sent Titus to Corinth to deliver an, an earlier letter and to bring back some word of how things were going. And at that moment, Paul expected that as Titus was traveling back from Corinth up the Greek peninsula, crossing the Aegean Sea at the north, that he would be probably had come as far as Troas by the time Paul got there, but he hadn't. So I took leave of them, the believers in Troas, and went on to Macedonia. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. 
Who is sufficient for these things? For we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. The problem, Roman numeral one on your outline, was a restless spirit. And the, the, the word that is um, not at rest, the words in verse 13, uh, literally speak to the picture of a, of a line with no, no slack in it. Just, just no margin at all. This, this restlessness was not a season of despair. It was not a season of hopelessness. It was not even a season of overwhelming burden. It was a season of, well, kind of grind. Restless describes that, 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 that season when, when, when the breaks aren't break enough. When the routine has gotten to be just that much too much. And when the, the need for some sort of breather some sort of break just never seems to never seems to be satisfied. The grind. And if there's anyone who can typify that sort of season, it's a mom in the thick of it. Is there not more to life than this. Just day in, day out. The prepping, the cleaning, the laundry, the gear. I remember the moment in Gail's life when we realized for the first time we could say to our sons, go get in the car, we're going somewhere. And it wasn't you go get the kids in the car and I'll go get the hand truck of extra stuff that's required every time we go anywhere, you know. Been a few years, but I remember, and being around our grandkids from time to time reminds me of all that. But it can be any season of life for anybody, men, women, young, not so young. The problem was a restless spirit. Letter A in your outline. This happens in spite of obedience. I want to make that clear. Paul is not writing here about a season of unresolved rebellion. If you're having a difficult time right now because God the Holy Spirit is working you over regarding an unresolved sin issue in your life, child of God, resolve the sin issue. Repent and move on. And if it's a difficult sin issue and coming to the resolution of it is, is, is a bit beyond what you can do unaided, get help. Praise God that you are surrounded. If you are a part of this body of Christ, you are surrounded with people who are in a covenant relationship with you. People about whom you ought to care and people who care about you. Even in organized ways, our Stephen ministry, our deacon body, our elder body, your life group leadership, your brothers and sisters, if you are stuck spiritually because there's an issue that needs resolving by the grace of God in his strength and with the help of your brothers and sisters, solve it. Repent. Move on. 
But to be clear, that's not what Paul is describing here. He was in obedience. He says, I went to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ. Paul wasn't just being a tourist in his travels. He had, he had to pass up through Troas, hoping to meet Titus there, but while he's there, he's telling him about Jesus. Further, a door was open for me in the Lord. That hasn't always been true everywhere Paul has been. In short, things are going well. Things are going well. There's just a restlessness. You can be, you can be living obediently, fulfilling God's calling for you, and still have it, have it feel like a grind. In spite of obedience, yes, let her be, some of his expectations weren't being met because I did not find my brother Titus there. I kind of thought by the time I got to Troas, Titus would have made it to Troas. And it's not, it's not all working out exactly the way I thought it would. It's not all just Perfect. Do you enjoy Publix commercials as much as I do? Man. But you and I both know we don't live in a Publix commercial where there's a, a 30 second heartwarming thing and everything is just so perfect. It's not perfect in your job. It's not perfect in your marriage. It's not perfect with your kids. It's not perfect with your neighbors. It's not perfect with your extended family. It's not perfect. And, and yet, things were going well. Paul evidently was succeeding in Troas because while it's not explicitly spelled out in the text, if you go back and look at the Acts 20 chronology of, of when this, this book of 2 Corinthians is written, as Paul had traveled north, he made it on into Macedonia, northern Greece. He wrote the book of 2 Corinthians from Philippi. And then later, as Acts 20 continues, he's traveling back, having made a dip down the Greek peninsula and back. He loops back over to Troas some months later and is able to worship with a baby church that's there. So he was doing his thing well, but just restless. How do you resolve that? How do you address it? Roman numeral two. Some solutions for those seasons of restlessness. Letter A. I think the key to the matter, perhaps the largest single issue that you can address in those seasons of restlessness, it's gratitude. It's gratitude. Verse 14, but thanks be to God. You can just, you can just hear the pivot as a, as a restless Paul comes to an expression of gratitude. The whole, the whole text seems to swing in viewpoint. Gratitude. Gratitude. I believe it's one of the most neglected spiritual disciplines. I believe that it's, it's a key to addressing a, a restlessness, which at some point can, can, can be connected to sort of a, a lack of contentment. How important is gratitude? Well, I've given you a couple of verses there. Uh, number one, regarding gratitude, we are to be grateful in everything. In everything. 
One of the, one of the things that I, I tend, uh, I guess it's sort of a, a vocational hazard, I tend to have conversations with, with people from time to time about, about knowing and doing God's will. I want to know God's will. I want to do God's will. I tell you first, if you don't desire to please God, if you don't desire to follow Jesus, you're not a follower of Jesus. Deep theological statement of the morning right there. There's the bumper sticker. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. And I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. The followers of Christ follow Christ. And if in you this morning, and I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't care what biographical hoops you've jumped through, gotta be careful with the biographical, well, I did this and I did this and I walked this aisle and I prayed this prayer and I said these words and I, did, 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 and I went through that water and I did, 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 did. Be, be very, very careful if when you consider your own salvation, what you look back on is a set of biographical bullet points that might be long ago and far away or might be last week. My sheep hear my voice and they follow me. The grounds of confidence that you can have that you are in Christ is your passion to follow Jesus. Yes, those biographical things are good things, but if you don't desire to follow Jesus, you don't know him. And here's something from his will that you can certainly know. Say, I want to know his will. Should I, should I buy this car or that car? Well, the Bible doesn't speak to that. I want to know his will. Should I take this job or that job? The Bible doesn't speak to that. Here's something the Bible does speak to. And if you want to know his will in areas where he hasn't spoken, the key is to do his will in areas where he has. He's not going to lead the heart of someone who is living in open rebellion. And if you're not obeying what he said to do in his word, you're living in rebellion and surprise, surprise, you're having difficulty discerning his leadership of your heart. Here it is, 1 Thessalonians 5.18. I'm about to tell you God's will for you with absolute certainty. Give thanks. Give thanks in all circumstances. Give Thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. This is it. It's the heart of the matter. You don't have to wonder about it. I just don't know God's will whether I should wear this pair of shoes or that pair of shoes. You don't have to worry about that. Gratitude in all circumstances is God's will for you. Brother Russell, that's hard because there's some things in my circumstances I don't like. You're not required to like them. Nowhere in his word does God say, you have to like everything that's going on. Ooh, I'm glad that lead us into being a whole bunch of hypocritical liars. But you're required to give thanks. And it, it, it gets a little tighter. Not only are you required to give thanks in everything, but over in Ephesians 5.20, you are required to give thanks for everything. Ephesians 5.20, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Wait a minute. 
Brother Russell, there's some things coming at me and going on right now in my life that I do not like. In short, my life right now is not precisely how I wish it was. Well, let me help you with that. If this morning you are here at the, the wonderful McGregor Baptist Church on Mother's Day of 2023, and if at this moment right now, every single thing in your life is exactly the way you want it, I want you to stand up because I want to come meet you. <laughs> you are the single most remarkable human being I have ever met, and also you're a liar. And I wouldn't, I, I waited to make sure nobody stood up before I added that liar part because, you know, I didn't want to, you know, brutalize you here on Mother's Day. If we're required to only give thanks when everything is the way we think it ought to be, we're never going to get around to giving thanks. So how in the world are we to align ourselves to give thanks in everything for everything? Well, one helpful thing to remember is the incredible promise of Romans 8.28. We talk about it a lot, but it's a, it's a pivotal foundation for understanding biblically what God is up to in the life of the believer. According to Romans 8.28, and some of you know this. If you don't, that's okay. What is God working together for the good of those who love him who are the called according to his purpose? What's the front part of that verse say? What is he working together? All things. All things. Now, we've been clear. That doesn't mean all things work out the way you want them to. Don't claim a promise God never made. You'll just beat your head on the wall and get real frustrated. But all things are working together for your ultimate good. Therefore, it is sane to be grateful for those all things because they're part of the tapestry that he is weaving. You don't have to like it. Lord, I don't understand this part. I don't get this part. Lord, I would change this part if I could. You could and you haven't. This is mine to pass through. This is mine to deal with. So, Lord, thank you. Mm. And let me give you a real, real practical key for gratitude. If you want your life to spiral into ingratitude and misery, here's what you need to do. If you aren't miserable enough, if you aren't ungrateful enough, here's what you need to do. You need to constantly compare what you want with what you have. Materially, situationally, relationally, constantly compare what you want with what you have and you will be miserable and bitter. However, if you will develop the discipline, the intentionality, the focus to rather compare what you deserve with what you have, what you deserve with what you have, and develop a biblical view of what you deserve. You were born in Adam. You were born a child of Adam in a world at war with God. That is your birthright. That establishes what you deserve. We 
think biblically around here. So if we think biblically about what we deserve, help me with this, what do we all deserve? Hell. In the eight o'clock service, everybody said hell and one strong voice right over here yelled out, the wrath of God. And I said, yeah, that. You deserve hell right now because of your birthright to sinful nature and because of your actions, attitudes, and thoughts. Look around you, you're not there. Look around you, you're not there. I know there's stuff that's not the way you wish it was. There will always be stuff that's not the way you wish it was. And some of that stuff's gonna be serious. The guy who, who, the guy who talks about Thanksgiving in this passage is going to die of beheading in a Roman dungeon not many years forward in his own life. He's well aware that stuff can go sideways, right? Give thanks. And when you compare what you deserve to what you have, it's like, oh Lord, the air is breathable today. Oh Lord, it's not as bad in all my relationships as it could be. Lord, I'm not in hell. Gratitude. Lord, thank you for my grind. Thank you that that stack of laundry means my family's around. Thank you that that job that's just wearing on me means I can cover some of the bills. Thank you for the things that make me restless. Not only gratitude, but also confidence. And there's a series of things in this paragraph that, that are sources of confidence to Paul. And that confidence travels with that gratitude. Um, he, he introduces a metaphor here of a, of a Roman triumph procession. It's, it's very specific terminology, um, and it's speaking to something. Remember, Paul is writing this letter from Philippi, a principal Roman colony city in the northern part of, of Greece, in the, in the territory of Macedonia. That colony was largely uh, populated by retired Roman military officers. And he's writing to a church in Corinth, which is the capital city of the southern Greek province of Achaia. And there's a lot of Roman officialdom there as well. So everybody where he's writing, everybody to whom he's writing, they know about a Roman triumph. As the Roman Empire expanded, if you were the military leader who took a significant new territory and you achieved a great victory on behalf of the empire, one of the perks that came with that is a triumphal procession would be held back in Rome in your honor. And you would get to march through Rome and address and deliver to the emperor the spoils of your great victory. And the, and the soldiers that were with you were the soldiers that helped you win it. And there would, be, there would be flower petals in the air. There would be the swinging of incense censers to, to bring them. And by the way, I had never seen that done until our recent trip. We were in a, a Greek Orthodox church early, well, actually in Turkey, an Eastern Orthodox church, very early one morning during the time they were having some prayers. And there was a priest. I'd never seen the actual swinging of an incense censer before. And whether you liked the smell or not, you knew the dude was there. 
you knew dude was there. His job was to walk in circles around the room swinging his incense. Victory procession. So, first thing we're confident of, we're confident in his victory that he's sharing with us. Thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. See, the guy up front, it's his victory. It's his victory. But we get to have a part of it. Child of God, it's his victory. The story he's writing in your life is not about you, it's about his victory. But he has invited you into the parade. He's invited you to celebrate it with him. He's sharing with you now and in eternity more so his victory. You can walk in that. You can celebrate that. You can be confident in that. Not only that, but you can be confident in his willingness to use you. And through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. That dude in that church that I saw a couple weeks ago, man, he had a job. And the whole room was different because dude was swinging his little smoke bomb. Not the most respectful name for it, but I don't know the actual. I think it's called a censor, but I don't know what they call it in their liturgical terminology. But I tell you what, dude was making a difference. The whole room was different because he was there. Everyone who knows and loves you it's different because you're there. Everyone you encounter, you have the opportunity to make it different because you're there. There is the fragrance of the gospel that you have been given the opportunity and indeed the responsibility to spread. You can be confident the living God who could do anything at the speed of instantaneous omnipotence has chosen rather to embrace and use you. You are his spokesperson. You are his representative. You are in the lane where he has placed you with his intentionality having put you there, though at times it feels like a grind. Third, confidence in his gospel. This, this that we bear, this that we carry, this that we represent, we are the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. A fragrance from death to death, a fragrance from life to life. In that triumphal procession would also be the prisoners of war. And if they were the influential leaders of the conquered territory, at times the triumphal procession would end with their execution. Look, I brought you so-and-so who used to be the king of so-and-so. He ain't that anymore. Because it's Roman territory now. And you know what? The procession smelled the same way. If you were a victorious soldier aligned with the leader, it smelled, wow, it smells good. This smells like victory. But if you were out of alignment with that conquering leader, the smell was the smell of impending doom, and it was the same smell. The gospel is the great divide. Oh, how we love you enough to tell you the truth. If you're a part of this church, I trust you have responded to that truth, truth and come to faith in Christ. If you're here this morning, whether a part of our church or not, if you've never turned from your sin and followed Jesus, the gospel for you is potentially good news, but right now, it just adds to your condemnation that you have heard the good news of Jesus, that the death of Christ on the cross has paid the price for sinners. His empty tomb has proven the validity of his claims. 
and his demand that all people everywhere repent, that demand has come to you and you've not repented. You've not trusted Christ. Hebrews 2 verse 3, how shall you escape if you neglect so great a salvation? The gospel is a message of life to those who will live eternally, but it's a, the, the sound of judgment to those outside of Christ. We have confidence in his gospel. Fourth, and this is a weird way to put it, but I'll put it this way, we have confidence in our own inadequacy. Paul asks at the end of verse 16, who is sufficient for these things? And the implication is nobody. Nobody. You're not sufficient to be what, where God has placed you. You're not worth what God has placed for you. People struggle with feelings of unworthiness. I'm just not worthy of the Lord of God, I, the love of God. I don't, feel, I don't feel worthy of all that he's done for me. Let me help you with that struggle. If you'll hear me out and think biblically with me, we can resolve that struggle once for all time right now, your feelings of unworthiness. Here it comes. Christian psychology advice of the morning right here. You are unworthy. See, no more struggle. He doesn't love you because you're worthy. He loves you because of his character, not yours. You ain't earned it. You ain't deserved it. You're not entitled to it. It is entirely a gift rooted entirely in his character. You brought nothing to your own salvation but the sin that made it necessary. While God has commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Not because we're some big deal, because he is. Rest in your unworthiness. You are not sufficient. You are not enough. He is and he loves you, child of God. And he invites you, if you're outside of Christ, into that relationship with him if you will but turn from your sin and trust him. Confidence, you can have confidence. His strength is made perfect in our weakness. We can have confidence in our inadequacy and finally confidence in my identity. In my identity. Paul says, we're not like so many, the peddlers of God's word. That word peddler there is a word for, for huckster. Con man. It doesn't just mean salesman. It means someone who's out there ripping people off. Paul says, because of Jesus, I can live, I can live a life that is real. I don't, have to, I don't have to put myself forward as something that I'm not. Many in Corinth were. Many of Paul's critics were just fake. Paul said, I'm not, I'm not like that. And you don't have to be either. Not hucksters, but rather spokespeople. Not peddlers of God's word, but men of sincerity. That word sincerity there is, is one of several words that can mean that in your New Testament. This word sincerity here speaks to our authenticity. Our authenticity. We are spokespeople with authenticity. The word is a compound word from two words. One means sunlight and the other means judgment or examination. Paul saying here literally, you can look at my life in the full light of day. You can drag me into the light and have a real good look because I'm just that authentic. I'll survive examination in the full light of day. I hope you will. 
I hope you long to. And I hope that that is a source of confidence for you, even in a season of a restless heart. And then our authority. As commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. In your grind, in your grind, restless dad. In your grind, week in and week out, employee. In your grind, mom, you are commissioned by God. In the sight of God, says the verse. He's watching. And praise God, child of God, that's not a threat, that's an affirmation. The one who loves you from eternity past is looking on, encouraging you, empowering you, loving you. He's the author of your assignment. He's the means to your fulfilling it well. We speak for God. We speak in Christ. If this morning you're outside of Christ and you're restless, turn to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Restlessness will be the smallest of your problems if you remain outside of Christ and face eternity without him. If you're in Christ this morning and you're restless because sometimes it just feels like it's just never going to be over, it's never going to be enough, work on your gratitude and trust in his truth to build your confidence. And know that one day we'll take our restless hearts home by grace.